having John and Hannah back. They add such a just joy to our gathering. And John's right. Uh, we I know I got we got some new faces in in our in our gathering today. I cannot reiterate enough uh, who we are. We are truly everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Which means we don't have all the answers. It means we're not perfect. You're not going to find a group of people who feel like or act like we have it all together, but we believe that following Jesus is a lifelong journey, and we're committed to doing that together, not in isolation. And that's why we just, you, you maybe are like, this is a little weird. They're, they're clapping for John and Hannah coming back and something. It's because we truly do like to get to know each other, to hear your story, to get to know your background, because we are united together under Jesus. And so if we haven't met, my name is Kyle. I am the lead pastor here at Generations Church. And I just love what has already happened this morning. And since launching in the fall these weekly gatherings, we've been looking through this book of Colossians. And what we've been using is we've been using this letter because it's written by this Apostle Paul to this church in Colossae in the ancient world, and it's to a church that he didn't start. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking Colossians 1 and saying, okay, if Paul is writing to this letter to a church that he did not start, what might he want them to know about the essentials of the Christian faith? Because here's what's happened so far, is Paul has been traveling around the world. He's been discipling people meaning introducing them to Jesus and teaching them how to follow Jesus. And what has happened is the people have internalized that. They've begun to engage with following Jesus. They've begun able to adopt the character and priorities of Jesus for themselves. And they've been extending that to others. Some of you sitting right here in this room are sitting here because someone has extended an invitation to you to gather with us, to maybe take a step in following Jesus for the first time. See, when we get introduced to Jesus, following Jesus is not for ourselves. It's for those, for those we love. It's not simply about us being connected with Jesus, but it's about others around us being introduced to Jesus in the fullness he has for us. And as we've been looking through Colossians 1, Paul has reiterated that over and over and over again, about crystal clear about who Jesus is. Because when we meet Jesus and we begin to follow him, everything about our life begins to change. And I can't think of a greater way to spend your first Sunday in January of 2020, if you can believe it, than in a gathering where we're going to focus on Jesus. And so maybe you're a little bit disappointed. There's no flying cars yet like the Jetsons predicted. Um, may, maybe this year, even as you've looked at it, it's been filled with a little bit of dread because you just know politically in our country there's some tensions right now. And what, what side of the aisle you're on, I don't know and I don't care, but I know there's some tension that's brewing. And so maybe you're a little anxious about this. And I know statistically that just anxiety in general in relation to specific to teenagers is at an all-time high. And the religious landscape is honestly filled with those who have no interest in church. 
and then from the lead pastor and the start of January 2020, let me say that Generations Church is not interested in people becoming more religious and playing church. We are interested in people following Jesus. And when we do that well and do that together, our communities and our worlds and the people in our life will be radically changed and experience something that only comes when it comes from heaven because that's what Jesus has done. He came from heaven. He walked on this earth and showed us what it looks like to be human and be united to God. That's what our hope and our goal is, is for other people. And so you may be here today and you don't quite have that interest and it may catch you a little off guard and that's okay. My goal is not to persuade you or guilt you into a connection with the church. My goal this morning is to paint you a clear picture of Jesus. And it's our followership of Jesus that causes us to gather together. And it's why we spend time and why we've looked at Colossians and see how Paul has reiterated the centrality of Jesus. Specifically for Paul, what's unique about this letter is, and not necessarily unique to some of the other letters he's wrote, is he's in prison. And he's writing to this church in the midst of his pain and his suffering. He's writing to a church that's saying, I know you've got differences. I know you've got different stories and backgrounds. But remember that once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now Jesus has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And he says, remain steadfast and pursue this. So, so far in this letter, Paul has praised this church for their impact on the world. He's reminded them that they aren't missing something. It's not Jesus plus. And we've gone on this journey, and if you feel like this is the first time you're, you're hearing some of these phrases, we have a podcast that you can go back and listen to the prior sermons, so maybe you can catch up with us. But we have tried to focus on how following Jesus is not Jesus plus, but it's Jesus centered. And after this long buildup on Jesus' centrality, Paul, as he often does, gives this church an example of sorts. And it comes out of his own life on how he has been changed by his followership of Jesus. Paul goes from killing Christians to becoming one. From someone who had all the power, had all the comfort, was in ultimate control and had the approval of others. And he gives it all up when he encounters Jesus. And here's how he describes what he's doing to the followers of Jesus in Colossae. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Remember, he is in prison. He's gone through trials and persecution and whipping and shipwrecks. He says, now in my sufferings for you, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, now revealed to his saints. I'm going to read one extra verse. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in this section, Paul uses his own life as an illustration for why he is following Jesus and how that's changed him. Now, if you look at that first verse, I want to be honest, it's a little bit difficult. Because if you kind of break that down, what Paul is saying, he's saying, so I, in my suffering, I'm making up for what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. And that might raise a question in your mind. Was something missing in Christ's sacrifice for us? Remember, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and was raised to life three days later. And as Charles said, we have the hope of him coming back. And so what we have to ask is, and around here we say, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be reunited to God through our faith in Jesus. But was something lacking? What does Paul mean? And the short answer in this is no. But the reason Paul says it this way is because some false teachers continually to say, well, Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is enough. It's Jesus plus, kind of like Disney plus. But it's, it's, no, it's not Jesus plus. It's just Jesus. And his sacrifice for you is sufficient. But they are looking and using Paul's suffering as a reason to say, see, Jesus isn't enough because Paul's going through all this hard time. But here's what Paul's point is. That suffering for the sake of others so that Christ is made known and mature believers are grown is what following Jesus is about. Paul is suffering for the sake of others so that Christ is made known and mature believers are grown. And Paul is the recipient of this. And what Paul is doing is as he's recounting these sufferings, is what he's saying is we as believers, if you have said yes to following Jesus, when we suffer for the sake of Jesus, we are living out the reality that Jesus suffered for us. See, there's been a long history in following God from the Old Testament into the New, that Israel, God's chosen people, the people that God selected to represent him within the world, went through a series of afflictions, whether it's Egyptian slavery, Babylonian exile, oppression under the Syrians or Romans. But it's understood that this is part and parcel of God's redemptive purposes. And the age of suffering was limited and the age to come would soon dawn, and God would judge the measures used. But suffering is present because God uses that to make himself known to others and to grow us. So Paul attaches no atoning value to his own sufferings for the church. This term, afflictions for Christ, is never associated with the redemptive sufferings of Jesus on the cross. It speaks, rather, of those sufferings which Paul bears because he represents Jesus Christ. See, we serve a suffering Savior who suffered for us. If we are following him and following him well, we will suffer. It is only natural if we pattern our life at Jesus means that we lay our life down for others, means we love others unconditionally, means we extend a level of vulnerability so that others get to know Jesus, then 
naturally, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hardships. It's not always going to be easy. There's going to be some friction. But because we see the pattern of Jesus, as Jesus perseveres, even in the midst of his ongoing suffering, it gives us hope that we can persevere. Because one day, he will come back, and the measures of injustice and wrongdoing that are used to us as we may persevere in suffering, they will be judged by Jesus himself. And that's what we hold on to and what we cling to. So Christ's suffering on the cross is all sufficient. So the peace, reconciliation, and right standing with God are its results. And at the same time, Paul is also convinced that this gospel, the good news, that God is at work in the world, and he proves it to us in Jesus, that we can be rescued and experience renewal, must be proclaimed, received in faith, and implemented in everyday life in order for God's redemptive purposes to be achieved. That's why our vision starts with we are everyday people. Because it's not about this idea of it's only on Sunday. Monday through Saturday matters. How you follow Jesus on that Tuesday afternoon when your boss is driving you crazy or your kids are driving you up a wall on Thursday morning or you feel like you're late again and you have all this guilt and all this pressure and Christ goes, my grace is sufficient for you. You are loved. You are worth it. Even on that Tuesday afternoon when you may feel worthless. Jesus proves that you are loved. And he wants to make himself known to you. And he chooses to do that through each other. He chooses to do that through his people. And that's why we want to do this thing together. And so the type of suffering that Paul is speaking of is the result of verbal, verbal proclamation of Jesus as king. And this declaration that Jesus as king is a direct assault on the Colossians culture and is an assault on our own culture. And so this is not just general consequences from living in a fractured world. But this is the result of Paul saying that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and I'm going to follow him, and that changes everything. And so the reason Colossians are suffering, and the reason for your success is following Jesus, is because of Paul willing to suffer for them. So there were these teachers that advocated that they missed part of the gospel, because of suffering. And they say, well, let's get rid of this through its intense self-discipline and seeking individual spiritual experiences. But what these teachers tried to convince this group of people of is that if they just focused on their holiness, on their spiritual growth, on their perfection, what would happen is that they would achieve something by their own merit. And then these mystics would focus on this spirituality removed from community. And what Paul is saying here, as he's doing it for the church, becoming its servant, and was given to me for you, is that to follow in the footsteps of Jesus was to be an other-centered 
person. And Paul found holiness, spiritual growth, and maturity when he pursued Jesus and following Jesus for the sake of others. And here's the temptation, again, at the beginning of 2020, is that maybe you've set resolutions and you've set goals and you've maybe even thought of, this is how I'm going to be different this year. I would humbly submit that this may be a little bit short-sighted. And doing everything for yourself, you don't have the, quite the amount of joy that comes through others experiencing the success. And even, I say, of the followership of Jesus that you are desiring to experience. Because a Jesus plus lifestyle doesn't work when suffering comes. Because whatever you have added to Jesus will tell you that the suffering's not worth it. And so we have to ask, what type of motivation does one have to willingly put themselves out there in the awkward and the uncertain? And we sometimes think of that as suffering. The awkwardness, the uncertainty. But what Paul is describing goes further than that. And ultimately it takes courage and resilience that is only found when Jesus is your source. Paul's goal is to make God's message fully known, that Jesus is enough. And in part, the message holds a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations. And we're going to look at that a little more explicitly next week, this mystery and why that term. But to sum it up, Paul is referring to the process by which God was going to rescue and redeem his creation. Because if we just look around right now, maybe just even in this room as we think of the relationships we have with others, maybe it's the relationships that, that we have outside of this room, or we look at our world, we know ne- not everything is as it should be. Something is off. Something is broken. Something is not as it should be. But so the mystery was hidden. Because God was working a plan. And the question was not, will God work? But when will he break into history? And how will he do it? And he does that in Jesus. And so what was once pixelated is now seen in 4K. So Paul is now working to advance this message and bring clarity to the mystery by participating in God's mission. And I think today as I just talk about suffering, and I know as even I studied this passage for myself, and I think about conversations that I have with people throughout the week or posts that I put out on social media, and the, the, just the different reactions I get, whether it's a troll online who, who's, who's, you know, doubting something or uh, just wanting to go, or, or even just a conversation with someone who's honestly going, man, I'm not sure about that. And, and that causes some distance in that relationship. And, 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 and I think about that, and I, you have to come back to, God, is that worth it? Is it worth it to continue to put myself out there, to continue to have conversations about what I am learning as I am following Jesus and how he is changing my life? Because I know that's not always received well. But I think there's an, just a modern-day example that's happened within the last month or so that can bring us some encouragement and some insight to what Paul is saying that might not always sit so well with us as American Christians. And this story comes from 
our brothers and sisters in China. Over 100 members of this early reign covenant church in Chengdu, China, were arrested Sunday, December 9th, 2018. And at the time of publication of this translation, I'm going to read you an article from the lead pastor. Some of the arrests were still being made. And among those taken away were Pastor Wang Yi, the senior pastor, and his wife, Jing Rong, who have not been heard from or had not been heard from for a while. But then as more articles began published in the store became over the last year, Wang Yi began to be heard from and began to receive some publication. The reason I'm bringing this up now is that, that first the arrest happened on December 9th, 2018. It's because on December 26, 2019, Wang Yi was secretly tried in Chengdu. And on December 30th, the court announced that Wang Yi was sentenced to nine years of criminal detention and fined 50,000 RMB. And this is the longest sentence given to a house church pastor in a decade. And here's what I want to do. Is this pastor who has started this church, who's being persecuted, has been put in jail. I just want to read you his response to the suffering that he's been put in jail for nine years for doing nothing other than saying, Jesus loves you, he's not forgotten about you, and he wants you to be a part of his family. And let's follow him together. So here's what he says. On the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I am filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime, at the wickedness of their depriving people of freedoms of religion and conscience. But changing social and political institutions is not the mission I have been called to. It is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. For all hideous realities, unrighteous politics, and arbitrary laws manifest cross of Jesus Christ, the only means by which every Chinese person must be safe, the cross of Jesus Christ. They must also manifest the fact that the true hope and for a perfect society will never be found in the transformation of any earthly institution or culture, but only in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and the hope of eternal life. As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel my teaching and my rebuking of all proceeds from Christ, it proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious King. Every man's life is extremely short, and God fervently commands the church to lead and call any man or woman to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. This is the goal of all the efforts of the church in China, to testify to the world about our Christ, 
to testify about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to the earthly, momentary lives about a heavenly, eternal life that is coming to bear on this earth through Jesus. And this is my, this is also the pastoral calling that I have received. For this reason, I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. As the Lord's servant, John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of God on wicked people. The goal being to urge God's people to repent and turn again towards him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as through submitting to the discipline and training of our Lord. At the same time, I believe this communist regime's persecution against the church is greatly wicked and lawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey the human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. But this does not mean my personal disobedience. The disobedience of the church in any sense is fighting for rights or for political activism in the form of civil disobedience. Because I do not have the intention of changing any institutions or laws in China. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears to the cross of Christ. As a pastor, my disobedience is one part of the gospel commission. Christ's great commission requires a great disobedience. And the goal of this disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another world. This is why I'm not interested in changing any political or legal institution. I'm not even interested in the question whether the communist regime's policies of persecuting the church will change. Regardless of which regime I live under now or in the future, I will continue to follow God alone. For the entire commission God has given me is to let more Chinese people know through my actions that the hope of humanity and society is only in the redemption of Christ and the supernatural, gracious sovereignty of God. And if he continues discipling and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent If I was sitting in a jail cell for nine years, I have to look my relationship with Christ, have a very sober, just look at it. Would my faith hold up in that type of suffering? Am I so purposeful about following Jesus and seeing his will and his work done in my life and so committed to others experiencing the same thing that I'm learning about, growing about, and seeing come to reality in my life. Would that hold up in the midst of suffering and sitting in the jail? And I think for those of us here sitting in this room, we can learn from our brothers and sisters in places like China. 
that we can take a sober look at our lives. And not willingly wanting to welcome persecution or not doing things intentionally to bring that on, but simply in saying and asking the question, am I following Jesus? Is my followership of Jesus changing every aspect of my life? If I was to submit to some hardship and to some persecution, would I do so joyfully? Would I do so with the goal of others coming to know Jesus? And our priorities as followers of Jesus must, not, must be not to live in a space that we can meticulously control or simply pursue comfort, but to live and work for a coming kingdom. Because the mystery of how God is wanting to rescue and renew has been made known in Jesus. And in our country, this type of religious devotion and persecution present by both Wang Yi and the Apostle Paul seem so foreign. But I think today, what if? What if a group of people became so purposeful and passionate about following Jesus? What could that what rescue and renewal could be seen, what lives could be changed, and what supernatural breakthrough could be present. Christianity is the only religion in the world that proposes an argument to endure suffering for the sake of others. Suffering gives you purpose and meaning to your hardship when it's found in Jesus. Let's be a people that our reasoning for what we do and why we do it is always because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I...